When the chairman of the board says you need to meet this person, uh, you have to meet this person. And so, and, and he said, and when the chairman of the board says, I think you two would really like each other, you take that with a grain of salt. Um, you're not sure, because sometimes the chair of the board is wrong. Uh, but this time he was right. Uh, he said, you need to meet Andrew Williams. You two have the same heart. And sure enough, we did. Uh, we met, we talked. Um, we talked about what God is about, what we wanted to see happen in our world. And, uh, and I found a soul brother in more ways than one. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Andrew. Uh, Andrew was the managing director of uh, marketing director, I should say, for KPMG. Before that was uh, a similar role with Xerox. Uh, had always had a deep sense that, that he needed to engage the culture, especially the marginalized, the people without any sense of faith or any of that in, in all sorts of different ways. So actually developed a thing called Spirituality on Tap, which was a place where people would come to talk about God and about spirituality and uh, amazing conversations would take place there. He had a deep sense of wonder about what God might be calling him to in his life and in this last year has been part of uh, the Young Street Mission as their program director there in operations. So he brings lots of experience both in the business world and then now uh, in the inner city uh, he, he brings a sense of wanting to think outside of the box. I love the fact that when he left KPMG, next time I saw him at the board meeting, he had an earring, which I, means I have something to look forward to when I leave here. <laughs> I'll get my earring. Uh. But Andrew, it's, it's great to be here. Andrew's on the board of governors for Tyndale as well. And uh, I present to you a person who has a deep sense of faith and a deep sense of wonder about what God is doing in this world. I present to you also my friend. <laughs> one day, my friend, one day. When my, it's funny, a couple of weeks ago when I looked at my calendar, I saw the state was coming up. I, my first reaction was, oh no because somehow there's something very wrong about me having to come and do devotions for a whole bunch of future Bible scholars and theologians. So um, we'll give it our best shot. What I'd love, love to talk to you about today a little bit is about Peter. Peter's one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he's so impulsive and so raw and so look before you leap. And before he became all he was meant to be, you know, the, before he came, the person we saw in Acts, the rock of the church, he was just so human. And he almost seems to give us all license to be a little human. So I'd like to take a little quick look at part of his journey today. So if we look in Luke chapter 22, the Last Supper, verses 31, I'm going to start there. Jesus says, Simon, stay on your toes. Satan has tried his best to separate all of you from me, like chaff from wheat. Simon, I prayed for you in particular that you not give in or give out. 
that when you come through the time of testing, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Peter said, Master, I'm ready for anything with you. I'll go to jail for you. I'll die for you. Jesus said, I'm sorry to tell you this, Peter, but before the rooster crows, you will have three times denied me, denied that you know me. And we know what goes on from there. Peter does, in fact, deny Christ. And um, I like the way Eugene Peterson talks to it in the message. So he denies Christ. Um, and then it says, Just then the master turned and looked at Peter. Peter remembered what the master said to him. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He ran out and cried and cried and cried. I've always loved this passage because we see Peter on the verge of transformation. And like I said earlier, the next time we see him, he's, this, he's his true self, this rock of the church in Acts. But I've always lamented missing out on what happened between now and Acts. We know that Peter ran out and he cried and he was in anguish. But what did he experience during that period? Everything he wanted to be in this moment when he was, when, when, when he had this opportunity to proclaim his allegiance to Christ, everything he'd prepared to be, he wasn't. Everything he'd readied and steadied himself to be, he failed upon. So what happened in that space between Acts and Luke? How was he transformed, and how did he ready himself for transformation? When I arrived at the Young Street Mission about two years ago, we were also on the verge of transformation. We've got, we, were, we had contemplated moving from an organization that was very good at helping people in their first steps out of poverty and trying to move towards an organization that actually helped them really embrace full health, whatever that looked like, whether it be social, spiritual, or economic. So we're trying to figure out how to make that happen. So that was part of my job. So the first thing I did was I turned to the most at-risk population we serve, a group of pimps, prostitutes, and ex-drug dealers. And we decided to run a program specifically designed for them, which gave them all these kind of um, um, educational props and things to try and move them forward. But a lot of those things weren't working. And I didn't know what a stem of the answer, a root of the answer was until one day when we did a certain exercise for them that we used to actually do at Spirituality on Tap, a goals exercise. And the purpose of this exercise was really to point out to them that we all have three basic areas of spiritual need, safety and security, belonging and significance. And to make it clear to them that they were probably trying to control their, sat their circumstances to satisfy these areas of spiritual need. And to make the further point that the only way you can really satisfy your spiritual needs, your deep spiritual needs, your foundational needs, is through a relationship with the divine. So we did this exercise, and I saw them frantically writing stuff down. And when it was over, I went back to my office. And the first person that came in was the person who was running this program for us. She was well acclaimed in the mission because, you know, if, if she dealt with 36 um, pimps, prostitutes, or drug dealers on the street, within no time, she would have 24 of them at least extricated from that lifestyle and looking to move forward. But she ran into my office, and she was crying, and she said, I've just realized that I spent the last 15 years trying to belong in my own family. 
And she told this rather heart-wrenching story um, of how she felt excluded from her family and how she felt that her brother and sister were tightly bound together and that she wasn't part of that. And I realized then that, you know what? She had never experienced Christ's transformative power in her own life. And even worse, when you, when you work on the front lines in the inner city, it tends to draw um, all of us who have the most open wounds. It really tends to draw the most wounded. And it tends to draw your wounds as well. And what tends to happen, if we're not careful, is we look to satisfy our own areas of spiritual need by serving. And we can't serve well when we're looking to the people we serve to satisfy us spiritually. So that was a real learning for me. So I, I, taking that little nugget, I, started, I took to going around the mission and asking everybody the single question. I would say to them, if someone in our community came up to you today and asked you, is Christ the best option for me, given my circumstances, what would your answer be? It was amazing to me, because most answers started with, uh, um, it was amazing that most people hadn't thought through that basic question. The second thing that was amazing was, the default answer was some kind of theological answer about eternity and how everything would be great and the kingdom of God was actually coming then, and then some kind of muddle in the middle about how things are tough now and we kind of have to endure. There are only a few people, and those few people are often the most effective at serving people on the streets, people in real need. But there are only a few people who would say immediately, yes, he is the best option for you. And they would follow up that answer almost immediately by some, with some story of personal transformation. And then some other story of how that personal transformation they experienced was a good infection in their life that spread to others they served. Let's see where we are next. So I imagine that many of you came to Tyndale because you want to make a difference in this world. And let me tell you that what you probably, let me remind you, that what you probably have encountered and will, and will continue to encounter is a world hungry for change. One of the reasons I came to the Young Street Mission was that my experience at KPMG was that corporations are dying to partner with organizations like the Young Street Mission if we will allow them to let their employees do Christ with us on a daily basis. Because they know that the only way to attract, retain, and develop their young people is to give them a sense that what they're doing has meaning. The world is hungry for meaning. They're hungry to be transformed into people who can make a difference in the world in their circumstances around them. And we're the ones with the answer. So if you really, I would put forward to you that the only relevant thing we have to offer the world is Christ's transformative power. And I would ask you, do you really believe in it? Another good friend of ours, Barry Parker, said to me over coffee the other day, we seem to have lost confidence in the transformative power of the gospel. Have you experienced it? And are you open to experiencing it continually? You know, theological mind beams can kind of prepare people for transformation, but they can never transform. You have to have that experience of transformation. And it can't be in your head. It can't only, only be in your heart. 
It has to be here and here in your life so people can connect with it. So I invite you to continually ask, where in my life is God looking to transform? Where in my ambitions? Where in my relationships? Where in my hurts is God trying to continue to make me that person who's experienced his transformative power, has confidence in it, and can help relate, help connect others with it? Only then can you really become everything you were meant to be and become as effective as you really want to be in serving community. With that, I'd like to end off with some words Peter said um, on the other side of his transformative journey. Um, Here he is channeling the prophet Joel. With that, Acts 2. That's when Peter stood up and backed by the the, the other 11, spoke out with bold urgency. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on every kind of people. Your sons will prophesy, also your daughters. Your young men will see visions, your old men dream dreams. When the time comes, I'll pour out my spirit on those who serve me, men and women both, and they'll prophesy. I'll set wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billowing smoke, the sun turning black and the moon blood red before the day of the Lord arrives, the day tremendous and marvelous. And whoever calls out for help to me, God, will be saved. I just pray that we will continually seek after God and have confidence and proclaim his transformative power. Thank you very much.